Blog Talk Radio. Greetings. Thank you for joining me for today's episode entitled, Why Are Blacks Hit by the Coronavirus? And how hard, in fact, are we hit? And is our correlations to obesity and stress and poverty underlying variables as to why our community is adversely impacted? Today, I want to talk about some facts versus myths. We want to talk about what the coronavirus is and what it is not and understand what we within the black community and those surrounding the black community can do in this pandemic. So let me start by first explaining what is the coronavirus. It is very interesting that if you read research from Mount Sinai Hospital, Center for Disease Control, John Hopkins, or even Columbia University, no one really knows what it is. I quote a professor, and a virologist at Columbia University, a virologist, excuse me, V-I-R-L-O-G-I-S-T, at Columbia University. And she says, quote, that the virus attacks the body, the kidney, the heart, the brains. But the fact of the matter is, quote, the coronavirus, COVID-19, has different presentations. So in essence, they are all basically stating that there is no one way to determine what is or is not coronavirus. And I think this is why the black community in particular has suffered dramatically, not because we have poverty, not because we're faced with other health ailments, but because even the medical community and epidemiologists do not know what the coronavirus is, and they did not have a hands-on approach to what the virus is and how it would attack the human body. We know that some of the symptoms of the coronavirus included coughs, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, fevers, chills, pain, sore throat. But we also know that those are very similar symptoms for a regular flu and some of the symptoms for colds. So that in and of itself during this particular pandemic that takes place during the flu season was not enough in and of itself to give necessary warnings to our community or any others. And then let's be honest about the role of mainstream media. They lied to us. The American people were lied to, particularly the black community, because mainstream media reported initially that the coronavirus attacked people from Asia, Europe, and as far as it pertained to North America during late March, early April, the only cases that were being televised on television, radio, uh, digital media were white people who had recently traveled, particularly to Asia and Europe, and elderly white people who were traveling by cruise ships. There had never been any specific information given to communities as a whole to say, you need to be warned. And so for many weeks here in the United States, the black community almost thought they were immune. There were people thinking, oh, that's a white person's virus. That's a white person's disease. So the Latino and the black community alike thought it was not going to impact our community. And our mainstream media, along with the Center for Disease Control, and governmental agencies failed us by not warning us that this virus 
would adversely impact our community as much as it had anybody else. And then we have the epicenter, like a state like New York, that even boroughs like Queens, which represents one of the five boroughs in New York, that is one of the most diverse counties in the entire United States. And so Queens County, or the borough of Queens, if you will, when they were hard hit, the emphasis was still on white, Irish, Italian, Americans, then Indians, then Asians, and then we slowly begin to hear that areas like the Bronx have been impacted through the Latinos and the Blacks. Then we heard about upstate or Westchester County areas of New York, again, where many Jews were being impacted. So there was very little, if any, conversation about the impact of the coronavirus, COVID-19, among and within and against the black community. So now all of a sudden, all of these epidemiologists, these doctors, the medical profession and media wants to isolate the problems that plague the black community by blaming it on poverty, diabetes, heart hypertension, and kidney problems. And that's not accurate. Let's be open and honest and have a candid conversation of why it caught up to the black community in a way that has now resulted to 34% of the infected people in the United States are black, yet blacks only represent 13% of the population. If blacks were given proper warning to wear masks, gloves, and engage in social distancing, and to practice shelter-in-place and quarantines, blacks would not be so adversely impacted, regardless of their overall health issues. And that is the conversation that nobody wants to have. And I equally blame black media, urban media, because they were not being proactive in addressing this matter. Now their reaction, Neri, individuals and media outlets and agencies, but they were not proactive in warning us until it was literally too late to places like Milwaukee and Albany, Georgia, Doherty County, and different pockets in New York and Chicago and Detroit and Louisiana were adversely impacted. It is not until that happened where almost one person in Albany, County, Albany Georgia, Doherty County, impacted almost like 50 people. One person at a funeral allegedly impacted almost 50 people. It is not until that one person where people begin to say, oh, my God, this is what can happen in the black community. That wasn't because of hypertension. That wasn't because of stress. That wasn't because of diabetes. That was because one person had a viral infection that was contagious that could easily be spread. Now, I know they're stating that for most people that get the coronavirus, COVID-19, it sort of is a mild symptom that sort of passes in a few weeks. But there are certain that because the black community is plagued with these other ailments, that their bodies may be less likely to defend or fight against it. But here's the bigger question. Why weren't we initially informed? For weeks in states like Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and throughout the seven southern states, which has the largest populations of blacks, there was little or no conversation about the impact of this disease among black people. The emphasis for the first three weeks was on a Seattle, Washington nursing home. And then they said one or two people came to the East Coast who had visited family members in that nursing home. So again, the only conversations that were being had was as it pertains to nursing home, elderly, white women, 
and those who traveled abroad. That was its impact in the United States. And so we cannot simply say that blacks in this country are impacted primarily because of our past ailments or states of poverty. There are many black people in America that do not live in poverty that have been adversely impacted. So when you also look at the symptoms and you're not educated in a community, the African American Juvenile Justice Project, for which I'm a founder, we use as a program, an acronym called the Power of the Peas. So when these peas were not engaging in the necessary conversations to protect the black community, this is what resulted in its impact and why we're hardest hit. It has nothing to do with just simply reducing us to people that live in poverty who have other health ailments. Parents were not informed, so they could not inform their children. Pastors were not informing their congregation. In fact, initially, they were still trying to tell them, come to church and have faith and believe that God is going to protect you. You should not live in fear. That is not of God. That was the message that was being conveyed to the black community by pastors. And so people were thinking that they would be operating in fear and not stepping out on faith and not believing in God if they didn't go to church. And even after there were warnings about social distancing, black churches were still telling people, come. And I suspect it was no longer about God. It was about profit and greed. If they don't come, we don't get tithes and offering. Then principals, school systems knew that these teachers and educators could be impacted. There was no testing initially. Well before the viral and the antibody testing, you could have simply asked teachers, hey, what's going on? Do you have a temperature? Do you have a cough? Have you been on vacation? How are you feeling? They weren't testing their body at first. And even then, the initial testing would not have been enough in and of itself now that we learned more about this disease or virus to curtail the number of people that could be adversely impacted because it just simply was, did you have a cough? Do you have a fever? And have you traveled in the last 14 days? That was it. And ideally, that did not apply initially to most black people that were being tested. They hadn't been traveling. They didn't have fevers and they didn't have a cough. So if you did not meet those criteria, you were deemed not to be a candidate or susceptible, if you will, more appropriately, to the disease or the virus. But what principals could have been doing is being proactive, not reactionary. They were waiting. And why did that happen? Because if students are not in school and there are no school days, then they lose federal funding. Again, lies versus livelihood. So those first three Ps failed the black community in that parents were not getting the information that they needed. So is that a failure on a parent's fault? That when parents were learning, even as of today, you see so many communities where these parents are out with children out of school, no mask, no gloves, not practicing social distancing. Communities adversely impacted. Children who may be carriers but not suffer, although we now know about the, the new disease, Kowalski, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, that's impacting the pediatric inflammatory disease that's now impacting certain regions of this country. But parents, pastors, and principals, your first powers of the peas, who could have done something. Principals could have said to the boards, we're closing. We're not waiting for this pandemic to hit our faculty and staff. We're closing now. 
school boards that weren't cleaning the schools until after they learned. And then you have the next three Ps, physicians, pharmaceutical companies, and psychologists. Physicians watched people die in rural and urban hospitals across this country, and nobody was crying out until they started observing what took place in epicenters like New York. You had nurses leaving the seven southern states and around the country, everybody flying to New York, everybody wanting to help New York, and that was great. But they left behind their local hospitals that were also suffering from the pandemic. Everybody wanted to go to the metropolitan area of New York. But all around this country in places like Louisiana and Texas, California, Florida, Georgia, Detroit, they were being adversely impacted too. Physicians knew the plight of this disease, but very few were discussing it publicly. A lot of behind-the-door conversations were being had. Pharmaceutical companies weren't rushing to come up with a vaccine until they realized this was a multi-billion-dollar industry. The first to come up with a viral testing or antibody testing or vaccine, they were going to be overnight billionaires. Behind the scene, the other P's, politicians were negotiating, trying to find how they could profit, get an inside trading information, politicizing the plight of this disease and virus among the community, even the black community. And even now, as we tell the world that we can reopen, we know that people are going to die. Dr. Fusi said people are going to die. We have lost to date more than 80,000 people in the United States, according to ABC World News, confirmed by the Center for Disease Control, numbers proffered by John Hopkins Medical School, and yet we're reopening. Why? Because a lot of people in these states, they want money that's coming from the government to finance what they're going to say is going to the hospitals, but it's going to be lining people's pockets. You would think in a state like Georgia, who had only had a shelter-in-place order in place for barely two weeks, that we would have stayed closed and quarantined. We didn't even have, or nor did we meet, and most of the country did not meet the 14-day requirement to see a downward slope. The most cautious state in the nation that everybody should have been watching was New York. When you take them out of that grid, you see everybody else, all of the state's numbers increasing. So to the opening of the states, when you look at why the black community is also hardest hit, you look at states around the country who were flooding the beaches along with white people, black folks, who was hitting the social scenes in places like Atlanta and Houston, Texas, and black folks, who were still trying to travel. You had people on social media literally marketing, oh, travel with moms and dads and children and let's go out and let's hit the beach. Really? How are you doing that? People are dying. And y'all want to travel? Y'all want to do parties? Y'all want to have gatherings? And nobody's wearing masks? Even where you have an environment with 10 people at a funeral, 10 people at a party, a gathering, you're still supposed to have your mask. You're still supposed to be practicing social distancing. 
The reason why they're saying 10 is because you're, they're hoping that in a number that small that maybe even if one person had it, only nine people versus nine, 90 or 900 would be infected. And so we in the black community, we're not doing enough even among ourselves. Look at when we decided to finally do a telethon on television to bring awareness. We brought awareness through BET and Bounce Television almost 90 days after the pandemic. And even in that, with all due respect, we weren't telling people what symptoms. We weren't talking about social distancing. We didn't tell people that they could get tested or what type of test. Most people don't know that there's two tests currently available. You have a viral test and an antibody test, sort of just like the testing for AIDS. The viral test allows you to know if you currently have the infection. Is it currently in your body? The antibody test could tell you if you previously had the infection within the last one to three weeks. It shows up after the infection was already in your body. So you have a lot of people out there that may have had the infection and didn't know it, but they were still able to spread it. The way for the black community to truly understand the coronavirus and COVID-19 or SARS-2 and all the other names they've been given it directly or indirectly is to think of being able to pass the AIDS virus, to literally pass HIV AIDS to another person without sex. If we take on that mindset of that's how we can spread this disease, a lot of us will kind of quarantine, and engage in shelter in place. Now, there have been a lot of talk about white people who've jumped ship and now they're engaging in white flight because they want to open up the states and they don't care anymore because the majority of the people suffering from this infection is black. Well, there's some false information being reported and there's some truths to that comment, maybe for some, because I hardly see you go into fight to reopen your state with swastikas and, and um, guns and waving the American flag in a way to suggest that you are the only ones who understand and respect patriotism. The fact of the matter, however, is this. Many of those white people own small businesses, and many of those small businesses do employ blacks. So for them, it is about livelihood. And for us, if poverty is one of the factors that people want to use, to suggest that that's one of the reasons why our community is suffering, which I don't think it is, but let's work with those myths for a moment. If that is a myth that had some validity to it, then wouldn't you want these people to reopen in a way that is safe, that can get these people back to work so that they can have the resources that they need to eat healthy meals and make sure that they can live in a healthy environment and have access to health care? Right? So not all of the people that are saying we open are saying we open because they're racist and it's white flight. There are many who also know that their livelihoods are adversely impacted and they can no longer afford to stay home. You look at a lot of the soup lines and people picking up meals all across this country. There are as many white people now on those lines trying to get food for their families and their loved ones and aid and financing than there are blacks. 
And poverty in this country has always been more likely impacting white families than blacks. Just look at the numbers. We talk about a health crisis, but we also have to look at how racism and disparity has impacted blacks and getting health care in this country overall. You have in states like Georgia where white hospitals like Piedmont Hospital, Southern Regional Medical Center, and a host of others have been either underreporting or lying about the number of cowboy cases, next denying elderly care, forcing black families on hospice, denying their advanced directive agency agreements with state no hospice and life-sustaining measures. And I'm sure that it is happening straight across this country. We know New York right now is investigating similar practices. So when we look at some of these numbers, we don't really know how accurate they are. You have hospitals saying, well, this person died from cowboy. That's what they're telling the funeral homes, but they never disclose that to the families. So why are they disclosing that to the funeral homes? On the death certificate or on infectious disease notification forms? Families don't know anything about it. So if you're trying to protect the black community and you believe that a loved one or a friend that's died from cowboys, wouldn't you let that family know so that they could practice quarantine and shelter in place? so that they themselves could get tested? Wouldn't you do that? But the fact and the truth of the matter is they're lying. Why do these blacks aren't dying from COVID or coronavirus? These hospitals want federal funding. They want these billions that are being poured into the, the states through these care acts and the like. It has nothing to do with real numbers. These are people who have never even been tested, did not have symptoms, and were never treated for COVID, but the paperwork that's being sent to funeral homes said that they died from COVID and coronavirus. And in states like Georgia, they're asking the GBI to sign those death certificates. Why? It's fraud. It's fraud upon Medicare. It's fraud upon the government and their blatant lies. States like New York is investigating similar practices. This is about getting federal funding. So we also need to be cognizant of the numbers that we're hearing in terms of the truthfulness, to be able to determine just how true they are. When you look at the three hardest hit groups, elderly and men, and you think of the thousands, thousands in most jurisdictions around this country, almost 47% that's almost half of all the deaths related to the COVID coronavirus were elderly people. And of that core group, the majority of them were in long-term care or nursing homes or assisted living. How did that happen? How did that happen? That's where that P for physicians come in. That's where the P for politicians come in. That's where that P for profiteers come in. How did that core group of people die from the virus? There are many families where even after their families were in the hospital for totally unrelated instances, for example, we are aware of a family where their loved one had problems with their legs, and they said their father uh, uh, could not walk. And so because the father could not walk, they went into the hospital in a small town in Georgia. 
while they were in that hospital in that small town in Georgia, the doctor decided to put the father in physical therapy at an acute rehabilitation center against their wishes. He would get cobalt infection, and he would die. This is happening all across this country. We saw it in the nursing facility in Washington, but we're seeing it all across this country. How is that happening? And why is it happening? Don't tell us because they're medically fragile. You could be medically fragile all along. Many of them never even had the flu. Somebody is the carrier. Somebody has brought it in there. And then the fact that many of these nursing homes were lying to family members and loved ones about the state of their family. I remember the case in Washington where they simply said, hey, your mother's doing fine. She said, no, my mother's not. Somebody called me hours ago to tell me my mother passed away. So then you start thinking, is this about Social Security? Is it about Medicare? If we could wipe out tens of thousands of them, is it going to do something for this budget? I mean, who knows? Are they being used for science and research? Is this some unauthorized research taking place? Are they basically serving as like rats where they're getting injected with, virus, with the virus or, and then determine what, what will happen to them, how it impacts their heart, their lungs, their kidneys, their liver, their brain? It's not simply because they're medically fragile. Somebody is carrying that disease into these facilities. You have a company called Pruitt Health back in Georgia that owns the largest number of facilities, and they have the most hardest hit. And most of the people are staying as understaffing. Those infected are uh, mixed with those who are not infected. The same nurses, many of those nurses and CNAs are saying they're not receiving gloves or masks. They're not able to properly clean. They're going from patient to patient to patient with the very same material on. So it's not simply because they're medically fragile. Then the next group you have are men. We've lost more men now than we have in Vietnam War. Vietnam War was almost, what, eight, nine years? And yet in just in a matter of months, we've lost almost 80-plus thousand Americans, mostly men. Many of these men could be reproducers for children. So you even start questioning in 2020, Census Bureau, what is really behind these numbers? Because I look at the black community in Vietnam, and I remember the stories we used to hear that an entire generation was wiped out. Black women were left alone to raise all these children. Many of them ended up in housing projects throughout the country that were originally all white, by the way, when they first moved there. And you learn about the struggles of these black women. An entire generation, no one was able to have any more children until that next generation grew up. So when you start thinking even about population control, it makes you wonder, how is this disease adversely impacting so many men? And then we say the disease came from China, Wuhan. Some people say out of a lab, other people say in a meat market, but we know it got here. And we all know that when it first got here in North America, that it had impacted whites in Europe and Asians. The African continent was not impacted at all. In fact, at one point, they wanted to test Africans when unsuccessful in doing that because they could decline. They were hit with locusts. All of a sudden, they had locusts in biblical proportions. Nobody to this day know where all the locusts came from. So was it a way to do testing? 
Was it a way to find out whether these people, black, are immune to this disease? What really happened? Because here in America, blacks believed that they were immune. The conversation was not about blacks and Latinos. We didn't begin to hear about the impact of black and Latinos. It was too late. It's like one day somebody just woke up and said, 8,000 blacks are dead from coronavirus. And that's when it caught somebody's attention. So even our civil rights and social justice agencies failed the black community because it was a late response. So how do we fix this going forward? Get tested. There were viral and antibody testings available all across this country. Go to the Center for Disease Control website. Go to your local state website. If you don't have access to the Internet, you can talk to people and find out. Find out. People you know have access to Internet. They have access to social media. Find out where in your local town. Call. Call your Department of Public Health to find out. Call your local hospitals. Call the Red Cross. Find out where's the local testing for viral and antibodies being done. Whatever you do, don't participate in clinical trials if you don't need to until we have more information in our community, one, about its efficacy, and more importantly, about how it could impact and spread in our community. Thank you very much for joining me today on Blog Talk Radio, and my condolences to any and every family and person that's been impacted by this virus. And lastly, our children are dying in these detention centers, and that is as critical as anything else that I've said today.